As we can all attest, children grow up very quickly. It is uh, it doesn't seem possible to me that Meredith is two already. Um, Blythe and Hannah and Wesley will all join her in less than a couple of months. Um, Julian just had his first birthday. Uh, Winter will join him next month and soon, uh, not long after him in February, Calvin joins that year-old club. In a blink of an eye, those five that we are anticipating between March and June will be celebrating their first and second birthdays. Um, For those of you that have older children, you're like me, I uh, remember the births of all three of mine and the thought that they are now all married and one is expecting my first grandchild is uh, a bit overwhelming. Where does the time go? In this story tonight, we, we find ourselves at that point where Mary and Joseph have begun that journey. They are now parents, and they have entered into parenthood. And interestingly, these verses that we're going to look at tonight, they're, they're not typically included in the Christmas story that we read. Um, they're not a part of the typical and and more familiar hymns and songs that we sing. The fact that we're going to sing one in just a minute called Simeon's Song um, is kind of out of the ordinary, and it speaks to Aaron's thoughtful preparation of our liturgy. Um, But at this point, we typically ignore these verses and move on, And we jump right into Matthew's account of the three kings, or the magi, and how they followed the star to come see the king, as if nativity scenes are all correct, and that those magi are actually in the stall the night of the birth. Our text isn't as romantic or as sentimental, and it definitely isn't as sensational as last week's, but it is... Uh, important, and it is important for us to look at. So I've broken this down. You can find the outline in the back of your book and in the back of your bulletin. Again, the freedom to take notes or not to take notes. Right? Three things we'll look at tonight: the good parents, the godly saints, and the growing child. And as is our custom, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Uh, Father, would you in these moments? Speak to our hearts, and would you use the room that you create by driving the doubt of dark away to plant within us and cultivate a new affection for Jesus. Give us a greater joy that is both deeper and more lasting than anything else that we have done this season. I desire, as always, to preach but admit that I am weak and needy. I need your support and comfort and strength and holiness and equipping that I might be a pure channel of your grace. So would you help me in these 
moments to not treat excellent matter in a defective way or to bear a broken testimony to so worthy a Redeemer. And I pray these things for the sake of Christ and His church. Amen. And amen. Well, let's begin here in Luke 2 with the good parents. And I say good parents, and I'm, I know you know this, but I say good parents because they desire to follow and please the Lord. And we know from the text that that is true for a couple of reasons. First, notice in verse 21 that it tells us that they named their baby Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. They honored and feared the Lord just like Zechariah did. Their desire was to please Him and to serve Him. And so naming the child Jesus gave evidence of their faith and trust in the Lord and His Word. But notice too in verses 21 to 24, uh, they tell us that they desired to follow and please the Lord through keeping of the law. If you'll remember from our study of Leviticus, and if you haven't had the chance to go through that, I strongly encourage that. Uh, You can find that online. But in that study, you'll remember that chapters 11 through 15 focused on the purity laws, and chapter 12 in particular focused on the purification after childbirth. And so these childbirth laws, just to help us a little bit, reminded the people that the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply that was a blessing was now affected by the curse. And so at this point, there was pain in the midst of joy. And one of the ways that they drove that point home was for a time after childbirth, the, the young woman would have to be off limits. In other words, symbolically, they would separate the young mother, not only from the Lord, but from their families as well as the community as a whole. And so for the last 40 days, that's been the situation that Mary has been in. She has been separated, and no one has been with her and been in contact with her. I'll kind of explain in a minute that I think that Joseph was probably there. But anyway, fortunately, through those purification rituals, there was a way of return. There was a way of approaching the Lord. There was a means by which restoration could take place. But the rituals had to be followed, and that's what we find Mary and Joseph doing. If, if they hadn't followed through with those rituals, she could have been cut off permanently. And this is where I wanted to add something. In verse 22, you'll notice it says, their purification. And I, I believe Luke is referring to both of them because we have to remember the context where they were. They were out of town. Uh, they didn't know anybody. And they were in an animal stall. So more than likely, Joseph had had contact with Mary, and because he had had contact with someone who was unclean, he himself was unclean and needed cleansing as well. But for the sake of, as we're looking here, Mary for sure was unclean and had been declared so. So on the eighth day, as the law required, they brought Jesus to, the ten, uh, to, to be circumcised Uh, As a part of this, again, you can go back to um, Leviticus 12, but the the child would be brought to be circumcised and to receive the sign of the covenant, 
uh, that God had made with Abraham, and we read about that in Genesis 12, 15, and 17, but particularly in Genesis 17, and this, this sign given to Jesus was significant for several reasons. One was it was a means by which Jesus would identify with Israel, right, with the people. But it was also, in Paul's words, a sign that, that he was born under the law, and having been born under the law, that he was also responsible to fulfill the stipulations of the law, which of course we know he did on your behalf and mine. And then thirdly, it would be the first time that his blood was shed. Circumcision, and in particular, circumcision in general, and circumcision in particular, as far as Jesus was concerned, pointed forward to his death on the cross in which he himself would be cut off for his, from his people, for his people, not for his sin, but for theirs and ours. Well, after the circumcision, then there were 33 more days of isolation. And then after that isolation, the family traveled to the temple. And they were to go to the temple so that Mary's atonement, so they could go to the priest... And through the sacrifices, uh, they, uh, Mary would be atoned, uh, atoned for and cleansed. And what they, were, they were responsible themselves to bring a lamb for the burnt offering and then a pigeon and a dove for the sin offering. And if they were poor, they were to bring two doves and two pigeons. And we read in verse 24 that that was exactly the case. They were poor, they had no money, and so they brought two doves and two pigeons for those sacrifices, and that tells us not only were they poor, but it also tells us they hadn't received the gifts from the Magi, because if they had, they could have afforded the lamb. But even more important than that, more important than that is that it causes us to be mindful of what the eternal son left and what he came into. Remember Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Well, of course, it wouldn't be until later that Mary would fully understand what she only understood dimly at that point in time. The cleansing that she went to receive at the temple pointed to the cleansing the son in her arms would eventually provide. His birth had made her unclean as far as the law was concerned. And it was him who, he who had caused her to be unholy, as far as the law was concerned, would be the one that would provide the ultimate cleansing that she in fact needed. Her son, God incarnate, would dwell among the unclean and the diseased and the broken and the hopeless. God veiled in flesh would be seen and touched and approached by those that had been kept at arm's length by the law. And he had come to call, not, peop- not for people to come and to 
cleanse themselves through the keeping of the law, but, but to come and to repent of their sin and to receive the cleansing that only He could provide. Sin was and continues to be an internal spiritual issue that those external issues pointed to. And her son would be the one that would, could not only heal the physical, but he in fact could heal the spiritual and cleanse the spiritual once and for all. He could and would actually perform what the law could not. What the law could only pronounce, he would be able to perform, which was cleansing. Well, they not only come for Mary's purification, they also come for Jesus' presentation. Again, in fulfillment of the law. But this, is, this goes farther back than Leviticus. We're going back to Exodus where God commanded the people to consecrate and set apart all of the firstborn. And the children, and he, and he did so because the children of his people were actually his. He had given them to his people. And they, in response, would return them to Him, though they were theirs, and they had received them as a gift. They, in turn, would return them back to the Lord, acknowledging that ultimately they were His, and they were consecrating and setting them apart for His service. And Mary and Joseph understood this better than anyone because their child, the gift conceived by the Holy Spirit... And so this presentation back to the Lord was an, another means by which Mary and Joseph could continue to respond in humility as they had been doing all along. Remember, uh, Joseph has the dream with Gabriel and he arises from that dream and what does he do? He goes and does everything that the angel had instructed. And Mary, remember how she responded? She says, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And so we just have this ongoing response of humility and service. Brothers and sisters, Mary and Joseph were good parents. But they weren't good parents because of the sleeping and eating schedules they followed, or, or the diet and health regimen that they maintained, or the discipline plan they implemented, or the educational choices they made, or the extracurricular activities they allowed Jesus to participate in, or the material things they provided Him, because... They were few and far between. They were good parents because they were models of righteousness and faithful obedience, and they sought to please and serve the Lord. And verses 39 and 40 tell us that they wouldn't have stood out in any way in terms of prominence and prestige. They simply would have been going about the simple things day after day after day in obscurity in this little town called Nazareth. So in light of that, for all who are current, soon to be, and future moms and dads, allow me just a moment to encourage you and to exhort and, and maybe even challenge you as, as your pastor as well as an old, now an older parent. 
Unlike Mary and Joseph, your children are not your savior. Parenting is not a means by which you justify yourselves. Leaving a positive family legacy doesn't ensure in any way your immortality. Parenting, as you've learned, are learning or will learn, is an act of faith, not control. If your parenting experience um, somehow turns into a contest, if your parenting puffs you up rather than drives you to your knees in humility, or somehow breeds confidence more than it does repentance, might I, might I suggest and be so bold as to say that something likely needs to change. And let me encourage you to present your children to the Lord, to initiate them into the covenant community by giving them the sign and seal of the covenant, which is baptism. Pray for them. Catechize them in the truth through, through singing and teaching of the scriptures. Lead them to embrace by faith the gospel to which their baptism points. Encourage them to discern the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and to come to the table. Point them, point them to and exhort them to look to Jesus, to keep their eyes on Jesus, encourage them to rest and strive as they seek to, to live lives worthy of their calling. And then you as parents model, model lives of righteousness and forgiveness and repentance and grace and trust in an all-sufficient Christ in an all-sufficient Word of God. And then as you do, as you do, remember these words from a fellow pastor. He says, remember that we all stumble in many ways in our parenting. Yet, it is the nature of God to deal graciously with us, even parents who sin. There is no failing in our parenting life that Christ cannot and has not overcome if we will confess and repent of those sins and seek righteousness in Christ alone. May that be so. Well, Mary and Joseph, we move from godly par uh, good parents to godly saints. And Mary and Joseph had entered the temple, they entered the temple court, and they were greeted by two godly saints. The first was a man by the name of Simeon. And we don't know how old he was, but we assume from some of the language that he was a bit seasoned, though not as seasoned as as the woman that will come in just a moment. Uh, we don't know what he did for a, leave, a living, although uh, some say that he was a priest. There really isn't anything in the text to uh, give us that idea. Uh, what we do know is that he was from Jerusalem, 
and he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. He was spiritually minded. We know that he loved and obeyed the law. He was a man of hope. He was eternally focused and was longing for that day that the Messiah would come and deliver his people both politically and spiritually. And he believed in and was trusting in the long-awaited fulfillment of the promise. We also know that he was blessed by the Spirit. And the Spirit had not only revealed to Simeon that he would see the Messiah before he died, but the Spirit had also given him a specific task. And on the day that Mary and Joseph were led by the law to go to the temple, Simeon had been led by the Spirit to the temple as well, and they run into each other. And Simeon takes Jesus into his arms and he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. It's the last of the four hymns that Luke includes in this narrative. Its Latin title is Nunc Dimittis, and it means now you are dismissing. One commentator writes of this hymn, he says, it tells the story of a slave who's instructed by his master to keep watch through the long dark night on a high place to wait for the rising special star and then to announce it. And after wearisome hours of waiting, he at last sees the star rising in all its brightness. He announces it and is then discharged from keeping watch any longer. Really, if we could break it down and we could put it this way, Simeon is basically saying, finally, I can die in peace. It's finally time. Lord, you told me I'd see the Messiah, and I've seen him. He's not only come to save me, but he's come to save his people, both Jew and Gentile, from every tribe and nation and tongue. You fulfilled your promise that salvation will come through Israel, that, he, that, he, that there will be a blessing to all nations through Israel. And this is our glory, speaking on behalf of the people. The Messiah has been revealed. The light has come. It is shining in the darkness, and it will overcome it. And Mary and Joseph, are, of course, they're left in that position again of being amazed. Not just that things were being said, but what was being said. And, and the words spoken by Simeon are, are much like the words spoken by the shepherds. And, and they're, just, they're, they're there to encourage and uplift and assure this young couple who have been through the most astounding 10 months that the Lord is involved But Simeon wasn't able to just stop at the good news. He also has difficult news, very, very difficult news. Look at verse 34. He says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You see, before there could be peace, there had to be conflict. The light had come, but the light was going to shine into the deepest, darkest 
recesses of every man, woman, boy, and girl's heart. And as the light penetrated those recesses, it would reveal the breadth and the width and the depth of sin's corruption. But he would not only identify the problem, he would also identify as well as provide the only cure, which was himself. Simeon said there would be those who would push back, of course, and oppose and reject Jesus. And and those who failed to fall on their knees in repentance due to their pride would eventually be brought to their knees in devastating judgment. But there were also those who would fall to their knees in humble repentance before the Lord, laying down their pride and embrace Jesus by faith and in turn be resurrected. They would would be raised to walk in newness of life because they had been forgiven and justified and adopted by the King. And then he says this, he says, Mary's own soul would be pierced. Now, some believe he's referring to the heartache of watching a child die, which I hear is one of the most devastating things you could ever experience. And while that might in fact be the case, I think there's more to that. I think there's more to what's going on. I I think he's letting her know that her own soul would be pierced by a sword, by the light. That light was going to penetrate her own soul, the deepest, darkest recesses of her own soul. She would be confronted with, with the corruption of her own sin she would not be immune. She would face a choice. She would face a choice that everyone faces. Would her son, her own son, be a rock of stumbling? Or would it be a rock of stumbling that would cause her ruin? The language there. Or would would he be a cornerstone upon which she would be resurrected? And brothers and sisters, that's, that's a choice everyone has to make. Everyone in this room has to make it. No one is immune. This baby whose birthday we celebrated on Friday, who has come to bring peace, has brought that peace through unavoidable conflict. And the question we all have to ask is, have we, have you, have I been brought low? Have we recognized the devastating nature of our sin? Have we been willing to take the time to allow the light, allow the Word of God to penetrate those inner recesses of our heart? And then have we looked to Christ? Are we resting in His life, death, and resurrection? 
We sang last week, He was born to raise the sons of earth. He was born to give us second birth. He is the only one who can raise us up. We cannot do that ourselves. And so we must ask, is He a stumbling block upon which we will come to ruin or is He a cornerstone upon which we will be resurrected? Well, the second godly saint was a prophetess named Anna. She had married young, uh, had only been married seven years before her husband passed away, and she remained unmarried. And while she was in her, what is believed to be her second century of living, she continued to spend day after day after day in the temple. Praying, fasting, talking to others about the Lord. And on this particular day, the opportunity he provided was for her to see the one she too had been longing for, the one she too had been waiting for, the one she was resting in. He was here. And of course, she comes over, I picture this, and we don't know, I I picture this being while Simeon's still standing there, right? We're gathering a crowd, and so now she's there, and she begins praying and praising and thanking God. And then she begins talking to those who are standing around in the temple courts, talking about who he is. You need to come see this. It's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. And brothers and sisters, I I couldn't help but think of how we need godly saints in our midst. Godly saints, both men and women of all ages, but particularly older, seasoned, seasoned saints who have the wisdom and in some cases bear the scars of lives lived in faith through ups and downs and joys and sorrows and successes and failures and profits and loss and pleasure and pain. Ordinary people who by faith have seen Jesus and are characterized by a couple of things in particular when we look at These two. One, like Simeon, they're confident in their lives and they're walking by the Spirit. They have hope and they live without fear because they're prepared for death. In Paul's words, they are always of good courage. They know that while they are at home in the body, they are away from the Lord. For they walk by faith, not by sight, but they are of good courage, and they would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether they are at home or away, they make it their aim to please Him. And we need that. We need to see that in our midst. And two, the other characteristic, like Anna, 
They're committed to ministry in our midst. Faithful to pray for us. Faithful to serve us. Faithful to bring the gospel and the word of God to bear in those situations that they have already experienced and that we're walking into. Willing to invest in those of us who lack wisdom and lack the years of success and failure through which so much is learned. They, we need those that know there's no such thing as retirement from the community of faith. Well, that brings us to the growing child. Verse 40 says this, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom and the favor of God was upon him. And I, I don't want to step on Aaron. Uh, he's already begun preparing for next week in the last several verses that are uh, a part of chapter 2. And um, just in a comment that he made to me earlier today, I, I, I kind of want to leave that be. And so I'm just going to simply jump in and and apply this, um, I simply want to say that good parenting and godly saints are necessary for children to grow. Right? The good parents and godly saints, necessary for growing children. This, brothers and sisters, a covenant community of faith. And our children are gifts to our parents, but they're also gifts to our body. Right? And they, they, are, they have a rightful place within this community. Because in Jesus' own, own words, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. They're therefore entitled, as our children, to, to all the privileges of covenant community. And that includes being taught and prayed for and ministered to and given every opportunity to grow in strength and wisdom. God's favor is upon them. And we should be intentional and consistent in leading them toward embracing the internal realities to which all of the external administrations point. And as our children get older, and as they begin to be launched from nests, I would pray that we would be able to look at them, all of us be able to look at them and just pull one of them aside as they're going and, and to say in Paul's words, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I pray that that would be so. Not only in this coming year, but in every year that follows until the Lord returns. Let's go to him in prayer. Well, Father, by your spirit and grace, 
Would you now enable us to receive the word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives for your glory, for our good, and for the sake of Christ and his church. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.